Many of us are now well into self-isolation, and the Evening Standard is continuing to get vital information out to all of you through the newspaper, online, and this podcast. You can subscribe to the show to make sure you don't miss out on our news analysis and interviews. And if you live in London Zone 2 and 3, we're sending out half a million copies of the newspaper through your doors. It's the first time the Evening Standard's done this in its near 200-year history. Do check out the editorial column. It's what this podcast is all about. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. Is the government making a mess of its coronavirus messaging? So if you're saying you're being guided by the science, explain it. What is that guidance? And that's making me think, mm, you know what, I'm not sure they are being guided by the science. Former Downing Street spin doctor Alistair Campbell on what he thinks has gone wrong and how he says he'd fix it. Also. <laughs> Don't go to Goa, the expats stranded in the Indian state after the country closed its border. And Most people don't even know their neighbours' first names. Uh, certainly it's been quite an eye-opening experience for me this week, getting to know, um, you know Jason and Debbie, who live two doors down. We Can Work It Out features writer Sam Fishwick on the London communities banding together to get through this crisis. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comet. In a moment, what should the government be saying about coronavirus? One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. As the cars packed into Richmond Park on Mothering Sunday, with few obvious signs of social distancing, it was almost like this. You're endangering the community and you're making it more difficult for us to get on and protect the NHS and save lives had never been said by the Prime Minister just two days before. And of course, just an hour or so after Boris Johnson made that statement on Friday evening, some of the pubs that had been urged to close threw open their doors and welcomed patrons inside as if it was no different to any other night. During rush hour in London, people have been taking photos of tube carriages filled with passengers. Social media has been aflame with accusations of irresponsibility by the public. But the Evening Standard's editorial column says people shouldn't be so quick to judge. It's reasonable of our leaders to warn of tighter restrictions if we don't follow the current ones. 
both the Prime Minister and the Mayor of London have done this in the past 24 hours. But they are not saying the same thing. What we need is a single plan, backed by simple advice, which everyone in authority sticks to, and advanced by putting rocket boosters under communications. That means public service ads on TV and in the press, and flooding social media sites with trusted official information. Don't blame people for breaking rules until they know what they are, and make it possible for people to stick to them. Has the government got this wrong? I'm joined over Zoom by Tony Blair's former communications director, Alistair Campbell. Alistair, is the public ignoring the government, or is the government not getting the messaging through? I don't think the government's messaging is getting through, because yesterday, you know, you had a situation where, on the one hand, Boris Johnson was saying that we're about to send out over a million letters to people who would be advised they've got to stay home for three months, which is quite a big deal for anybody. And on the other hand, you have to assume that among those people yesterday were people who were probably taking their children and grandchildren to playgrounds. And he's saying, well, it's very important that we keep the playgrounds open. See, I think the other tension I feel sometimes is that they keep saying they're being guided by the science, but they're not explaining the science. So if you're saying you're being guided by the science, explain it. What is that guidance? And that's making me think, "Mm, you know what, I'm not sure they are being guided by the science. And then these kind of slogans that they keep coming, you know, whatever it takes. And the other day, Rishi Shunak doing his presentation at the end of every paragraph, whatever it takes. Like I say, whatever it takes. I mean, just give it up. Just explain and stop the kind of, you know, hammering the slogans and, and so forth. I think that, I mean, the slogans matter. They do matter. But if you're going to say whatever it takes, whatever it takes means closing the schools before you did it. So how do you fix that then because you do have this contradictory situation where people do need to stay indoors but they also need to get outside to exercise how do you get that into one single simple message well the one thing johnson has shown himself to be good at in terms of campaigning whether it's get brexit done take back control he can drive through a message What I think is different about this is that it's multi-pronged, it's complex, and he's still in that mode of trying to kind of pretend that it's all quite straightforward. The key to me for a leadership role in crisis communications is taking the public into your confidence about the decisions that you're making. Why are you making them? What's the thinking behind them? In depth. What is the... So, for example, the other day, he comes along, one day... He's saying absolutely no need to close down big events like football matches and horse meeting races. No need at all. Then when it happens with the same conviction as he said that we shouldn't do them, now that we should. No explanation really in terms of data, figures, policy thinking. No explanation as to why you've gone from kind of, you know, A to X in such a speedy time. Same on the schools. And then to announce the schools, listen, I get this is really difficult when you're trying to put together something like who's on a key list, who's a key worker, who's not. And you know that if you talk to all the local governments, it might get out, it might not get out in your terms. I get all that. But but for him to, as he does, make these big announcements, and I get, I think it's good to have experts around. But don't, when you're, as he puts it, chucking the ball to the expert. What he's doing is he's communicating, I don't know the answer. 
Now, we've obviously never been in this situation before, but I bet it's the kind of thing that governments prepare for. Is this the sort of thing that you prepared for during your time at Downing Street? And how big a problem is a pandemic for the UK? You know, in my time with Tony Blair, there's, I reckon, about five genuine full-blown crises. Iraq, Kosovo, 9-11, foot and mouth and the fuel protests. Now, lots of others that maybe got close, but they like were full, they felt like full-on crisis. This is that times quite a few, okay? And it's more complicated and it's in many ways more difficult. But I think some of the principles have not changed. And I think that all the planning that you do, uh, I think that is useful. But I doubt whether most of the key people who are at the top table of decision-making now actually took much part in any of that planning. Because, you know, how long has Johnson been Prime Minister? Not that long. How long have his key people been in there? Not that long. They won't have been on crisis management courses and, and all that stuff. So I mean, that's why, ultimately, you do have to rely to a you know, pretty considerable extent on those who have put in place the sort of structures you need, and then you have to adapt them. And this one, for sure, I can remember, I mentioned Kosovo. We had to adapt the structures that were there very, very quickly. And we did that. It's fine. You know, it worked out okay in the end. Um, but I think with this, and I read something over the weekend that Mark said, well, the cabinet secretary had reorganized, adapted the sort of the structure. And that is definitely the right thing to do. So you have the planning, but ultimately, once you're into it, you probably are going to need to adapt pretty quickly and, 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 and do it in a, in a way that may have some of the underlying principles, but different to how you might have imagined it. Next. Hopefully, you know, the government are going to get people, try and get people home. But it's just like if you're in a safe place, wherever you are, you know, be glad to be alive. What happens when you're in a foreign country that closes its borders and you're still there? In the early hours, India's 1.3 billion people were put into coronavirus lockdown. The measures vary according to different parts of the country, but the national rail system has been shut, so has public transport, and the borders are closed. That's trapped expats from all over the globe who now have to find accommodation and support for an uncertain length of time in a foreign country. The Evening Standard's Joe Yule sent this report from the southwestern state of Goa. India got its first nationwide taste of what those in Europe have been calling lockdown on Sunday. Here, Prime Minister Narendra Modi named it Janta Curfew. In a speech on Friday, he asked the country to respect his request to stay home between 7am and 9pm. And since then, it's been extended after the trial began until Wednesday this week to try to curb the spread of the virus. He warned India's residents against gathering in large communities, but he also told his people they will fight the menace of COVID-19 together. This banging of pots and pans in the streets in the villages of Patnam in South Goa was a show of solidarity, marking the PM's other request to give gratitude and make noise for the doctors and nurses on the front lines. Currently in Karnataka, there are 20 cases of COVID-19 and in Kerala, 52 at the last count. These are the states which border Goa, but so far, there's no cases of coronavirus in this state. And something that could be to do with the temperature here, which is only set to rise next month. My name is Samir. 
in the hot weather like about 33 it's virus can't survive because for the hot weather the virus will not here till now in goa yeah people now don't drive the people all spread about the virus you know so it's like uh, all over the goa people are scared about so people don't drive for everyone like all the uh, restaurant will shut down then their rooms also not scared because of the weather you know the hot weather that give me little strength that's why i don't wear my mask so on saturday 12 people who traveled by two different trains recently from delhi where the indian outbreak began have tested positive for coronavirus and the railways are actually now closed here until the end of this month nationwide schools have been closed for over a week and the yoga retreats which also bring huge amounts of business to goa and locally have also been hit hard here's anthony fernandez from junes in mandram now nobody can come in those who are already staying here they are afraid that their their borders might get closed so they are also in hurry to leave the india so it's like a big loss for us how much of a loss is that i mean how many weeks worth of business are you going to lose see now usually we close by end of april so like one and a half month is a loss for us so usually we have group in march also in april so and we are like 40 staff working here so it's like a huge loss yeah for dunes also It seems very empty even in the restaurant there's sort of not many people around everyone seems to be kind of staying home and i think that the schools are closing quite soon yeah so yesterday the in goan government has declared that the schools will be closed from monday till the 31st of march the, all the casino all the clubs theater cinema theaters everything they are shutting down till the 31st of march what about the restaurants restaurant they have not issued anything about the restaurant but they are saying they just take care of hygienic things spraying but i think uh, soon i think nobody will come in the restaurants also i mean how are you feeling and how are the local village people feeling about the coronavirus here in india see now in goa till now we have not find any positive case but still the government is taking the preventive measures to stop this but now with this uh, many people are finding like uh, they have to close it earlier we'll, we'll, we are also thinking of closing by april first of april so we also might close earlier so now everybody in like uh, the situation is very bad So the season may be closing a little bit early this year and the cabinet secretary announced that the borders were closing to foreign nationals more than 10 days ago. The very real prospect is seemingly now starting to sink in that those remaining here and their possibility to escape is starting to diminish. I'm stranded with uh, on my third cancelled flight so um times are uncertain aren't they? I also live in Ibiza so I'm not quite sure about how to get back there. Hopefully, you know, the government are going to get people try and get people home but it's just like also, you know, I saw that photo on Facebook today of all the um Italian coffins. and i just think that you know if you're in a safe place wherever you are you know be glad to be alive and um you know it'll it'll pass it's going to pass we're not going to be here forever so just keeping you know keeping that vibe alive and keeping alive there's worse places to be stuck in isn't there You can hear more from our audio team with our morning news bulletin sent to smart speakers at 7am every weekday. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. Now. At the top of the show we talked about the importance of self-isolation. But what happens if you need someone's help? 
Across London, communities are still managing to come together to support each other and still stay safe. Features writer Sam Fishwick's been speaking to people all over the city and joins me now. Sam, what kind of things have people been doing? Well, I want to stress, first of all, David, that I haven't been out uh, talking to communities. I've been at least two metres away from any communities I've been speaking to. But, of course, um, yes. Really, what I think is quite striking is that this crisis is, has brought them closer together than ever in many ways. I'm sure you'll have seen by now that these COVID mutual aid support groups are springing up everywhere. You can find them online quite easily. They are Facebook groups, they are WhatsApp groups, but really they're real people using their phones and trying to work out who in the community is vulnerable and who needs what, whether that is cycling to an open supermarket to pick up loo roll and ibuprofen for an NHS worker who is on their shift all day or delivering uh, a couple of books to their elderly neighbour who is stuck in self-quarantine. How important is it that people do this? I guess in some cases it could be life-saving. It could be life-saving. It's obviously incredibly important for anyone stuck at home isolated and instructed not to see anybody, particularly when it comes to picking up uh, medical prescriptions from the doctor, which certainly some of the volunteers I've spoken to have have had to do. And the the GPs that they spoke to uh, were only too happy to give them permission to pick up those prescriptions. So as you say, life-saving. But it must be quite difficult because we do have to observe these social isolation rules. We have to stay two metres apart from people. How are people kind of working within those restrictions? There's a lot of advice on how to follow uh, those preventative measures. Certainly within these groups, uh, you know, whether that is wearing gloves, your two metres of distance, your disinfectant spray, making sure you're cleaning the hard surfaces of any packages or items that you're delivering. Again, it's just being about being sensible, David. We often think about London as being quite an isolating city within itself. A lot of people don't know their neighbours. I wonder if during this time we're starting to rediscover those who live around us. Most people don't even know their neighbours' first names. Uh, Certainly it's been quite an eye-opening experience for me this week getting to know um, know, Jason and Debbie who live two doors down. it, It could be a sea change. If these are the kind of crisis events where, uh, you know, we're, we're sort of atomized and broken down and see what forms afterwards. Certainly, I've, I've never seen the streets, so um, at a distance, busy. And streets are being cleaned as well, aren't they, in some cases? They are being cleaned. Um, I, mean, I mean, again, in many cases, it's, it, it's a case of the community stepping in where um, uh, local and central authorities um, may not have done so yet uh, or, or may not do so. There's a, a group I spoke to um, out in East London who had supplies, they had disinfectant sprays, and they went out to their local parks, playgrounds, their tube station, while their tube station was still running, uh, and they were scrubbing down and wiping down um, hard surfaces, areas where the virus, the pathogen could live. As well as the act of doing that, it's, it, it's actually seeing people doing that and seeing a good example being set. You, you really... It, it, it's hard to overemphasize at this point, but when it comes to good behavior, you really have to see it to be it. And that's the leader. Subscribe through your podcast provider and give us a rating too. We're back tomorrow at 4 pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. 
QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.